And they're there, even as you and I are still running our race, to say, we're here to tell you we've run this race before you. To use a phrase that we sometimes use in the streets, we've been to hell and back. And we're here to tell you that your God is faithful. You may fail him. He's not going to fail you. Keep running. Keep running. Putting one foot in front of the other and doing, by the grace of God, the right thing. I can give you a lot of good advice, and I'm going to give you more, all from God's Word. But God's saying that to every one of us because I've got some of the same battles you do. And he's saying, don't pack it in. Don't say, oh, I give up. We're here to say in the presence of God, we've run this race before you. We've been beat down. We've been beat up. We've been jacked around. But at the end of the day, God is faithful to his promises, whatever they are. He's going to keep them. So there's nothing that you're enduring, nothing upon you. This is from Hebrews, not this passage. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. There's nothing you're going through that is so great that you can't handle it. Gosh, Jim, I don't know about that. God has never put anything on you or me or anybody you know that is too great for them to handle it. Sometimes it'll come almost up to it. <laughs> but if it's there, you can handle it. More about that later. So let me break that down, refuse to make excuses. Unpack it a little bit. A, resist, therefore, the temptation to blame God for our spiritual failures. People do that all the time. God's faithfulness has been tested before throughout history. The history of redemption in Christ and leading up to him presents with tons of evidence the reliability of his promises God never embarrasses your faith. I've lived longer than most of you. Who? Quite a bit longer. Never once has God ever embarrassed the faith of Jim Andrews. He's driven it to the wall, but he's never shamed me for believing in him. He's never shamed you for believing in him and trusting him, and he never will. So, resist any temptation to blame God for why your face is in the mud. God will never let any of us blush who depend upon him. He never fails to come through, though oftentimes a saying of mine, many of you remember from 30-some years ago, 
oftentimes he doesn't save the bacon until it's crisp. Never forget that. I found so much of the time that's exactly what he does. He saves the bacon when it's crisp. Usually it's about three minutes till 12 when God saves the bacon. B, resist the temptation to blame circumstances for our spiritual failures. He has just reminded us in the previous chapter, chapter 11, that famous pastor gallery of the saints of God, the heroes of faith, that many saints have run this race with great distinction before us under far more trying circumstances. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 and following. Don't fold and throw in the towel, folks. God will never allow you, coming back to that verse I mentioned, 1 Corinthians 10, 14. God will never allow you to be tested or tempted beyond what you can bear, beyond the power of grace to sustain you, beyond what a human being is able to endure. I mean, as I look at you, my eye runs and I spot people in this congregation who've just literally gone through hell and still are, and they're still here. And they're not blaming circumstances. God is doing something in his providence. If nothing else, when you cry out, they're there to say to you, I know I've been there before you. I'll pray for you. I know what it's like. If you've got it on your plate, remember this, you can eat it. Whatever comes your way is measured to the grace that God has given you or will yet give you. Don't cop out and say, it's too much. It's too much. I'm not talking about any particular person. Last week I lost my mother. This week I lost my dad. And now my brother. You know, there are people here who have gone through things just like that and more. It's all measured by the grace of God to the grace he's giving you or will give you. God is compassionate toward our human weakness. Sometimes he has to put us through that stuff. Over here sits our brother Glenn. I just look at him. Just two or three weeks ago, it's so hard for him to be here. So hard. Because how long were you married, Glenn? Seventy. Seventy years to his wife. Devoted relationship. And then Sally passes. It's hard for him to stay up during the day. Who the heck wants to get up? It's hard for him to lay in bed in the night. Some of you have already been through it. You say, I know what that's like. God sees it and he cares. But things have to happen for God to do his work.
so be careful to come before the throne of grace. You bring all your cares to him. You bring all your prayers to him. But don't go before the throne of grace with all this cloud of witnesses. Seeing the whole race play out. Don't go before the cloud singing, poor little old me. At one point in Jeremiah chapter 12, I can't read that whole passage, verse 1 through 6, the prophet himself, see they put their robes on the same way we do. And the prophet himself was singing that song. The prophet Jeremiah, he was saying in my words, Lord, this people are so mean to me. I haven't done any harm to them. I've tried to be everything that I ought to be as your prophet. And they're just beating the way out of me. And the Lord came to Jeremiah and said, oh, shut up. Said, you haven't even run with the horses yet, man. So he hung up the phone on Jeremiah at that point. Jeremiah got the message. You see, folks, our generation is into the cult of victimization big time. Victimization is a mental posture that tends to excuse spiritual inertia and accept sin and defeat through blame shifting and wallowing in self-pity. Our society is full of it. Everybody is a victim. A Christian victim adopts a Humpty Dumpty mindset, blames people and things for our past, in our past, for our fall off the wall. The spirit of victimization in Christian context cheapens God's grace by adopting the position that Christ not only invites us as sinners to come to him without one plea, which is true, but also graciously allows us, God graciously allows us to remain as we were without one protest. That's not true. John mentioned that last Sunday. This cheap grace attitude runs through evangelical churches like a polluted stream. Get away from that. Don't be a victim. Many of you are victims. You're serious victims. Don't be a victim. That's the point. Every person in this room, if I go row by row and person by person, if they wanted to, could tell you a victimization in their lives. You could have had that dynamic, but don't let yourself, by the grace of God, be a victim. We are not testing God to see if he's worthy of our worship. He's always testing us to see if we're faithful and worthy of his everlasting presence and glory. Number two, shed the dead weight. The text says, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance. That translates to my words, shed the dead weight. What qualifies as a spiritual encumbrance? It's anything, however innocent in itself that impedes your spiritual progress, and we usually know it. 
it's totally contextual or situational. What encumbers one person does not necessarily encumber another. What you and I need to do, I include myself, is take inventory and say in this race of faith, what are the drags? What in effect are dead weights as we run the race? I'll tell you in principle, anything that you and I allow to deflect us from our Christian mission, from our Christian duties, and our Christian priorities translates to an encumbrance. It could be anything from, for example, a relationship. As a pastor, I've seen it over this almost 60 years in the ministry. I've seen people, oh no, oh no, they're getting involved in a relationship. Hey, we need relationships. We want relationships, but some of them can be a downright encumbrance. I see where that one's going. That's not going to be a good thing. Yep, I was right. Sometimes we get in self-improvement projects. I will never forget one couple we had here when they came here full of fire and vigor. And then... I saw her get involved in an educational project. I won't be any more definitive than that. More and more and more. Just fell off the wagon. Look, if anybody believes in education, you're looking at him. After 14, 15 years of it, I think you can say I believe in education. But make sure it's an asset and not a liability. If this thing is going to take you off the path, if it's going to drain your spiritual energies, if all of a sudden you're doing what you're doing, you don't, you don't have any time for God. You don't have time for church half the time. You don't have time for reading your Bible. You don't have time for prayer. You don't have time for getting involved in the mission. Something's wrong with that. I have a great granddaughter-in-law down in Roseburg. That's a tough place. The other day, Austin and I saw a video that just warmed our heart. Alex helps Faith take care of the kids. He hasn't worked out with this church, so he has some freedom in that regard. And they don't make much money. So she's finishing up a nursing program. Work, work, work. Then works at the hospital. But showed me a video Alex did the other, or Christy. This gal, in a church where there are no young people, everybody is old like you-know-who, all falling apart. They're good people, but it's just the way it is. She's going out. I don't know how she did it. She's going out and somehow rounded up 
15 girls. And there they are in front of her. She's teaching them, teaching them to memorize scripture. She finds the time in the midst of all of that. She doesn't cop out. Watch these encumbrances. An encumbrance can be a toy. Oh, how men and sometimes women love their toys. Look, it might be an RV, a boat, or a car, or a home. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things. But when they take you out of the game, there's something wrong. It's an encumbrance. Or it could be scruples to one's image. What, what am I talking about, an encroachment? Well, all of us are different personalities. And uh, yours is one, mine's another. Now this probably, when we come to church, some of you worship differently than others do. But this can become an encroachment. Sometimes we do not worship God freely, as freely as deep down we want to or know we ought to, because of pride, because of how we look. Let me use myself as an example. That's not a problem with me because I have a little test. You will never find me, not because I say it's wrong. Some of you do it. I'm proud of you. Some of you, whether anybody else is doing it or not, you will raise your hands when you worship. God bless you. You will never see me do that. Is that pride? No, because that's Jim at a blazer game or a Bronco game. Well, there was nothing to raise my hands about this year. Anyway, I'm a very passionate competitor. If I don't shed my blood or somebody else's, I don't feel good. But you'll never see me go to a game and my team scores a touchdown or a basket, jump up, yay, yay, yay. I don't do that kind of stuff. I never did do it. It's not my nature to do it here. It's not an encumbrance. But if it is your nature and you don't do it here because you're embarrassed, that's an encumbrance. There was a guy in Sacramento. I was speaking down there. It was a charismatic church, but it was one I loved. I'd like to tell you the back story. Ossie and I were, I was going to speak that morning and I was sitting back here. That's another thing. I don't like front row seats. Bless you. <laughs> Bless you. But I was sitting back and we were out here. I like end row seats. I don't like to get in the middle either. I like an escape route because <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. Right over here, just this far over here, was a grid. Mike, I'd almost have you stand up. He is big and tough and buff. He looked like he had just, a hell's angel just jumped off the back of a big Harley. And there he had, they always do, don't they? He had this little girl 
It was about half his size sitting over there. And the worship was going on. And I looked over here. I may not be able to bring this off. Somebody come and get me. And I looked over here. Everybody else was standing. Austin remembers this so well. And there was that big guy. His arms were bigger than my thighs. And he was down, he and his little girl, his little wife, down praying. I could tell it was so genuine. That was real worship going on. He did not give a flip whether anybody else was doing it or not. That's the way he felt like worshiping the Lord. And as long as it wasn't disorderly or anything biblical, praise God. So if any of us hold back, it's an encumbrance, not because something is right or wrong in itself, but because it's our pride. Well, move along here. Number three is keep the rules. And lay aside the sin which does so easily entangle us. Well, here the author is talking about those things we do which are contrary to the moral character and the stated will of God and contrary to our conscience. We know the way we just make a choice to do something else. We've got to be careful. There are things... Sin is anything that is contrary to the will of God. It keeps us from competing with confidence when we're doing stuff, thinking stuff we know is wrong. Now, those of you who played sports, men or women, you know that confidence and competition is right up there with ability in the equation of a winning edge. When you're up against somebody who is confident, they've got that look in their eye. They don't fear you in the least. They're going to do what they think they can do. If you cause one thing coaches, especially in the NFL, they're worried about is a young quarterback losing his confidence after getting smashed 17 times in a row. Sins like that, it hurts the conscience. You can't compete as well in a spiritual race. It disturbs the quietude of the conscience. It puts a red light, as you've heard me call it, on the dashboard of our hearts. It makes us fearful rather than confident before God. I may be your pastor, and I may have been here 60 years, but if I've got something battering my conscience, I can't even pray. Or you can get to the point where you've done it so long that your conscience is just numb and then you can pray with no effect. That confidence deficiency is lethal in serving Christ. Keep the rules, God's will. It also keeps us out of the penalty box. So important. What does the word say? Be sure your sin will find you out. God doesn't say, well, I'm just going to let that pass. Let that pass. Let that pass. No, he's going to deal with it. 
sometime, somewhere. Obedience, that obedience that is sponsored by faith, that obedience which is the pulse of a living faith is to the soul like sunshine. That obedience chases the cloud from our spirit and brightens our days. The road to happiness, let me tell you this, you want to be happy? Everybody wants to be happy. We've got a generation that's lost hope. They've lost happiness, no reason to live. You want to be happy? I'll tell you, I've said it for 60 years right here. In fact, before. The road to happiness runs right straight through that place called holiness. The road to happiness runs directly there. Four, show some grit. The text then says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is a little bit trite. You've probably heard it many times, but if you haven't, let me be the first to tell you. Remember the Christian life is not a dash. It's a distance race. We need to bunker in and hunker down. Settle in for a long flight with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, my son-in-law, John Dodson, he's over there. John's in the Marshall University Hall of Fame. He was a world-class runner. But I did run track at one time. I didn't set any records. Runners hit some walls. I'll tell you about my one arrogant experience with running. I was running track one day and a coach from a big track school was w with my coach and they were watching me run the mile. I never ran the mile. I was just running around a track. He said, who's that kid? He knew me in football, but he didn't know me without a uniform. He said, uh, coach said, well, that's Jimmy Andrews. He said, oh. Said he's a natural miler. I heard that. It went to my head immediately. Somehow, John, I don't know how this happened. I got signed up for the mile at the regional meet. I don't even remember how I qualified. But there was a guy over there from Mount Hope. I didn't like him. I'd had trouble with him years ago. He was a state champion. I was going to beat that sucker. <laughs> so I got in my lane. Bam, a gun went off, and I took off. Man, I was out ahead of everybody for two laps. <laughs> for two laps. They were smart. They knew how to pace and that sort of thing. And I'm sure, that, who is that idiot up there? I was going for it. I came in dead last. I did finish. Runners hit a wall. You have to develop some tolerance for pain to translate for persecution, for humiliation. He who does not take up his cross and bear it is not worthy of me, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 38. The cross emblemized in the Roman world pain and humiliation. Now, update. This country is no longer a comfortable place for radicalized Christians. In many parts of the world, this very minute, it's not even a safe place for Christians, whether they're radicalized or not. We've got to set our jaw by the grace of God and show some grit, run with endurance.
Number five, sell out and fix your eye on Jesus as your model in the race of faith. The text says fixing your eyes on Jesus when you run. It's helpful to look at something. Look at the goal line. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of what it means to walk by faith. For as the Son of Man, he walked by faith. He's our model. And for the promise of joy that was set before him, he endured. That's a word. That's a heavy word. He endured the cross. And he was able to endure that, despising or minimizing the shame of the cross. He saw the cross. But he saw the glory that was at the end of the trail. And he sat down now at the right hand of the throne of God the Father. Jesus, in running his earthly race, he concentrated on his future glory. He minimized his present suffering, and he received his reward. Again, I'm bringing up things I've told you many times before. If you're going to run this race of faith, you've got to have a cross-eyed faith. cross-eyed. You've got to look back to all the things that God has done for you, the way he's helped you, the way he's strengthened you, the way he's provided for you, the way he's protected you. Keep your eye on that. But you've also got to keep another eye on what's before you, the crown, the glory. Some of this pain is just too much, it seems. But you've got to look ahead to what you have to gain. Jesus, our Lord, is at the right hand of God. And when he comes, he's going to gather us all up. We're going to be transformed. Everything that's bad about us will be shed. We'll be glorified. And we'll be honored. Keep your eye on the end. I have a time running slow here, so I got to move on. You can come back tonight. I'll give you the other illustration. I'm just kidding. I don't want to keep you away. Then in verse 6, five minutes at the most, get accustomed to rigorous spiritual training. Consider him who's endured all this hostility against himself by sinners. Don't grow weary and lose heart. Look, you've not resisted to the point who here has shed blood for Christ. Maybe somebody. Who here has shed one drop of blood for Jesus Christ? He says, well, you haven't either to these people. Look around. You think you've got it so bad Have any of you shed blood yet? They did later. In striving for Christ, all of us have shed blood. The opposition of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Look, he says, what's he saying? Jim's words. Don't be a snowflake in your estimate of hard times. 
Look, it's not nearly as bad as we make it. And in verse 11, he says, don't forget God's purpose in your lives. God's purpose is not, first of all, to make you happy, happy, clappy, happy, clappy. If that's your idea of the Christian life, you better lose it. You will be happy and you will be glorified, but where does it run right through holiness? And that comes at a price. It's a life where God is constantly subjecting us to discipline. And he tells us, I'm going to have to go fast here. He tells us, look, this discipline that we all go through, it's not because he's mad at us. It's because we're weak and imperfect and ignorant. And he's got to correct us. He's got to build us up. It's a signal of his love. If God never disciplines you and I, it says we don't belong to him. If you can go out and just send up a storm walking the old way and you don't get disciplined, you don't belong to him. It's a badge of his ownership. It's a means of moral communication. So what's the last thing he says? Buck up and be glad. We learned that along the way. It's a little harder to be, it's a little easier to buck up than to be glad. But if we look at what he says, we can thank the Father for it. Well, we want to be prepared for Jesus. You can take that in two ways. Prepared for Jesus when he comes. Or we could take that and be prepared for Jesus so we can serve as soldiers in this life and assist in the mission and assist in the cause. Be hard to find better advice than that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you for your love, for your badge of ownership and the disciplining and chastening that we go through. Lord, deliver us from being whiners, complainers, but to be people who are thankful and grateful for all that you do and are going to do in our lives. Help us to keep our eye on the prize and to keep our eye on all of the good things that you've done for us in the past. We pray that if there's anybody here who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Spirit will help them filter through all of this and understand what it means to belong to Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, Jesus uh, never promised us that following him would be easy. Um, quite the opposite. Um, he said, in this life you will have trouble, but... Uh, in the in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And uh, so we're going to close with a song of praise to to him who uh, who provides us with everything that we require um, to walk in faithfulness and uh, and just walk in his spirit. And uh, so we're going to stand together and we're going to sing. And as we do, the ushers are going to pass around the offering plate for this morning. And if you are visiting today, um, don't feel obligated to, to leave anything in the plate. We're just glad to have you.
um, although anyone is certainly welcome to give if they're if they're so inspired. Um, so, but let's uh, let's just uh, give him our praise before we go.